Hey guys, John Paulamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, September 19th, 18th, and this is the weekly market update. The dis dis disclaimer, as usual, anything that you hear or see on this video or here on the podcast is not to be taken as investment advice. I'm not a financial advisor. I do not know your personal situation. I'm not licensed to give you advice, personal advice. So please do your due, own due diligence. It's your money. It's your responsibility. Okay, first up in the weekly report. So it's interesting, you know, we've had a lot of pressure recently um, by activists and even private equity firms, hedge funds on the whole ESG thing, that seems to be the new zeitgeist, if you will, seems to be the new uh, fashionable thing to tout. Uh, one thing is uh, Harris Kupferman points out, he's dubbed ESG uh, energy stops growing. And that's really what the theme of this week's um, re of video is gonna be about. But there are some guys pushing back a little bit. Here's the CEO of Chevron, you know, one of the things about the oil and gas business is it's boom bust, it's cyclical. The, there's a lot involved for bringing these projects online. It's a very serious business. Uh, it's not whimsical. It's not subject to current fashions. So I think, you know, Chevron, for example, has said that it would rather pay dividends and invest in wind and solar. And why? Why are they saying that? Because wind and solar are very low margin businesses. It doesn't want to mess around with it. It's not their core competency. And so I think this is the right view, right? Do produce your product, uh, a product that quite frankly, in my view, is necessary for civilization. Uh, produce it, do it well, do it as cheaply as you can, and as abundantly as you can. And then uh, when you make profits and pay out in dividends, then the shareholders can take the dividends and they can invest in wind and solar if they like. And that's what Chevron's saying. So here's the article, of course, links to all the articles that I cite in the show notes. Uh, Chevron corporate chief exec executive Mike Worth said on Wednesday, the company prefers to return money to its shareholders rather than use it to invest in solar and wind power projects. The two renewable sources of energy generate low financial return for stockholders, Worth said in an interview on CNBC. Investors could use dividend payments from Chevron instead to invest directly in renewable projects, he said. We rather dividend it back to shareholders and let them plant trees, unquote. So I think Mike Worth is not a big fan of this ESG movement. That's kind of a sarcastic answer in my view. Uh, I know he mentioned the low returns and you know, but uh, this is kind of a, 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 this is a shot, right? We rather dividend it back to shareholders and let them plant trees. Um, I don't know if Mike Worth is going to survive as the CEO of Chevron or not, but uh, I do like the, uh, I do like the sentiment and I do like the uh, view. I mean, quite frankly, uh, you know, there's nothing to apologize for if you're uh, the chief executive of an oil company. Um, you're providing a product that is necessary uh, it's more necessary than most people realize. Uh, it's taken for granted and it's now being demonized. Uh, as I will show throughout this week's market update, that's going to probably lead to a lot higher prices. 
So blackout risk for Europe this winter. You know, we're already seeing reports of very high gas prices, natural gas prices in Europe. Uh, the wind has not blown as forecasted in many parts of Europe. That's reducing the amount of electricity pr provided by wind power. Therefore, other generation sources are having to pick up the load, right? I.e. natural gas fired power plants, and even in some cases, bringing back coal plants uh, the demand for electricity does not go down, yet if the supply goes down, this is a problem, and that's what we're seeing, right? So what's this article saying? Europe's soaring energy markets are exposing the risk of power blackouts this winter, especially if freezing weather worsens the region's already exceptionally low natural gas inventories, according to Goldman Sachs. A colder than average winter would mean Europe needing to compete with Asia for supplies of liquefied natural gas, driving prices even higher. And there's a non-negligible risk that LNG directed to Europe won't be enough to prevent a depletion of gas inventories by the end of the winter, especially if weather is cold in both Europe and Asia, the analysts said. Energy prices are breaking records daily. Gas and coal reserves are well below normal weeks before the heating season begins, while limited gas supplies from Russia, lower North Sea production and competition with Asia for LNG are also stoking the rally. And so you have Nord Stream 2 uh, completed. It's the pipeline that goes from Russia to Germany. I think it can supply 5 billion cubic meters of gas a day or feed of gas a day, something like that. And, you know, it's wrapped up in politics. The United States is pressuring the EU not to let it come online because, you know, Russia bad. And so Russia, you know, has the gas to send and it won't send it. Eventually, um, if people are freezing and there's and gas prices are through the roof, they're not going to have any pro ish, They're not going to have any choice but to acquiesce and turn it on. And so what you're seeing now, I think, is the culmination of what we were kind of talking about for the last couple of years. As you introduce more politics, nonsense, and central planning and control along with ESG mandates and all kinds of other nonsense into the energy markets, you're doing one thing and one thing only. You're, all this is coming together to curtail supply, but nothing is happening to curtail demand. And so if demand remains the same or goes higher and then you choke off supply, you're going to get a price spike and that's what we're seeing. Um, maybe some people have suggested that's the plan, right? That they're doing this so that they can get sky high fossil prices, sky high electricity prices, and then swoop it and say, see, this is why we have to spend, you know, $5 trillion on this green initiative to build all this solar and wind. I, I'm not getting conspiracy theories. I really don't care. Um, the bottom line is, is that we see time and again, activists, virtue signalers, people in government, and now even the central banks are getting involved in this gig uh, to, you know, centrally plan energy supplies. And it's, it's going to lead to an energy crisis. That's the thesis that I have. You know, we're enjoying the fruits of our analysis in the uranium market, but the same thing's happening in natural gas. I mean, you have natural gas well over $5 in MCF, and we're in the shoulder season uh, before, be, in the fall before the winter heating season starts. And this commentary is exactly correct. If we do, in fact, have a colder than average winter, we're going to have big problems. 
going to have price, price spiking all over the place. I mean, they're paying, I think I've seen numbers as high as 20, $25 in MCF for natural gas in some places. That's crazy. How would you like your natural gas bill to be five times higher than normal? What does that do to industry? I mean, how do you make bricks, glass, um, cement? All this stuff takes natural gas. So what's it do to industry? We already have reports of factories shutting down in Great Britain for lack of power. Is this really how you want to run a modern society? Is this really what the central planners are, are envisioning for everyone? I mean, they don't have their, they haven't messed up enough things. Now they want to get into energy and food and screw those up. You know, the more government you have involved, and it doesn't really matter if you agree with me, the, 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 the context of history, the full fullness of history is clear that when central planners get involved in any industry or mucking around and trying to uh, centrally plan things, you get, you get scarcity, you get less of that item but they can't help themselves can they so here's another here's a tweet from alexander stahel the other guy I follow on twitter gas substitution with oil now real in europe at 133 dollars barrel of oil equivalent ttf gas price a very cold winter could see Bank of America's third quarter 22 call for a $100 Brent crude oil roll fo rolled forward. If winter turns out to be much colder than normal, demand could surge by a one to two million barrels a day. They're talking about oil. Yeah, because if there's no natural gas, any kind of fuel will be burned that they, that, that they can find. The weather is quickly becoming the most important driver of energy markets. Still sees prices range bound for the rest of the year with Brent forecast to average $70, barrel, $70 a barrel over second half. So yes, things are going to hinge on what's going to happen this winter. Um, like I said before in previous videos, the weather forecasting folks that I listen to are suggesting that we're going to have a colder than normal winter and it's going to start earlier. So um, if that happens, then you can expect a real surge in energy prices. And so we, here we have <laughs> Beijing Biden here. Um, so, you know, oil prices have gone up since Mr. Biden has become the president. Uh, he's already taken some steps to crimp supply, cutting off, you know, Keystone Pipeline, doing some other things with, with oil and gas leases. And he said that, you know, he's going to, you know, climate change is going to be his thing. So, I'm not blaming this entirely on him, but you know, you get when you're the president, they like to take credit for things they have nothing to do with. So that's why they have to take the blame also. You're the captain of the ship. And so with oil prices higher than they were when he took office and heading higher during his tenure, he's going to get the blame. So what's he saying? He's not, you know, he's not suggesting that, you know, we have a rational energy policy and that fossil fuels are going to be around for a long period of time. And we need to do, we need to, you know, reconcile ourselves to that. He's not doing anything about that. He's really not doing anything that I can see except for screwing up uh, everything that he touches. And so here's what he said, you know, quote, we're also going to going after the bad actors and pandemic profiteers in our economy. There's lots of evidence that gas prices should be going down, but they haven't, unquote, says President Biden. We're taking a close look at that. 
I mean, this sounds just like what something you would hear in Stalinist Russia, you know, the Soviet apparatchik that, you know, the central planning of the resources fails. They have a crop failure. Uh, they have shortages. And so it's blamed on profiteers in our economy and bad actors. I mean, why don't we say counter-revolutionary elements, you know, uh, you know, this is this is just this is buffoonish. It's clown world. These these politicians are clowns. Who are you people listening to these people? You're the ones that are going to suffer because of their policies. But people keep this is what people want. Look at California. You know, they just had a recall election. Mr. Newsom was, you know, he was uh, reelected. He was he was the referendum on his re, on him being recalled was overwhelmingly overthrown. So people like it. People like homelessness rampant drug use, um, failing schools, high energy prices, blackouts, forest fires. This is what people like, chaos, I guess. They like wallowing in their, you know, a pig doesn't even wallow in its own crap. It craps in one corner of its pen, and then it, it has enough sense not to do that. So this is what you get, right? This is what you get when you uh, allow politicians. I mean, what does Joe Biden know about energy markets? He doesn't have a clue. He has absolutely no clue. But the reason oil, you're going to see more of this, especially when prices go through the roof. Uh, if we have the uh, energy crisis, on, and I'm talking about, <laughs> you thought the 70s were bad. It's going to get horrible. There's not been enough investment. And so, you know, we're already setting the stage for bad actors and pandemic profiteers in our economy. And he's look, he's taking a close look at it. You can be assured, he, you know, he's, uh, he's on the job. Here's the problem, though. Since 2014, energy capex has declined as ESG concerns rose. You're not investing enough money to replace the oil, gas, and coal that you are using. That is the problem. You're attacking the supply side, but not the demand side. You must spend money to replace produced oil or else you go out of business. You have this thing called decline. We've talked about this many, many times. Most of you longtime listeners know this. You can repeat the mantra. This is an extractive industry. You put an oil well into the ground, an oil field, a country at large, it goes through a bell curve of growing production in its initial stages. It tops out and then it goes into decline. This is reality. So you have to be constant. You know, this world is using 32 to 34 billion barrels of oil a year. If you don't replace the oil that you that you produced, you will eventually run out of the ability to produce oil. And so you can see that since 2014, we just have not spent a lot of money uh, in the U.S. at least to replace the reserves. This is this is this is not just a phenomenon that is U.S. centric. This is worldwide. This is why you're going to have an energy crisis. Then you strap on the mandates. Then you strap on the demonization, the ESG demonization, uh, the capital markets. I'm going to show you some more slides here of the more of the nonsense that's coming down the pipeline. And you're strangling the ability of this indus these industries to provide these life-giving resources. And they are life-giving, whether you want to accept that or not. Um, I don't think people really understand the bargain that they've signed up for when they go along with what these politicians are suggesting. They're suggesting a life that's very, very different from the one you live now. 
okay? That is the whole point of this exercise we've went through for the last year and a half. It's going to transition from this uh, contagion, if you will, in climate change. It's already, the narrative is already starting to move into climate change. We've had even Mr. Trudeau in Canada has said that some of the elements that we use to control the contagion now seem that they could be used for climate change. Your life, if you let these people continue with the, down the path, is going to change drastically. And I don't think most of the people out there really understand what that means. It means less of everything. That means less of everything. You won't be traveling. You won't be taking plane flights because the climate has to be saved. You will not be eating meat very often. And this is where we're heading. Okay, so this is, if you continue to allow this, this is what we're gonna have. You're not gonna be living out in the suburbs. You're not gonna be able to afford to live 40, 50 miles outside of whatever and, and commuting in your SUV, each little ant by themselves going to the downtown to work. That's, they intend to change all that because the climate, so I think you should take a look at this. this. Now, getting back to you know actionable intelligence, if you're not going to invest the money, we're going to have an energy crisis, and it's going to really shock people. And some people are going to suffer. You know, we had the situation down here in Texas last year. I live almost on the Mexican border, well, 30 miles north of it. That's where I'm talking to you from right now. And today it will probably be 91 degrees. It'll be very humid here. But last February, when we had the storm, I forget the name of it, over the two or three day period, I had, when we had pipes breaking all over the place. Um, it was 18 degrees here, wind chill, and we had, an ice, we had ice storms. And I had to cover up all, and insulate all the pipes outside uh, for the pool, for my hoses or my spigots, all that stuff. You had to wrap all that stuff up, my wife and I, and protect it. And there were, I talked to the, some plumbers. I had some plumbing work done after the fact because I had an outside line, PVC line break. And I had some plumbers come and work on it. And they told me they were just swamped with the amount of calls they had for all the pipes breaking. And so um, what I'm telling you is, is that kind of shocked us down here. You saw what happened in Texas just over that week period. I mean, there were people down here because they had variable rate plans. We have an open retail market here, so you can choose your electric provider. And so people chose, a lot of people chose these rinky-dink companies that would just go buy bulk wholesale power from some generation unit and then resell it and a variable plan. And they got blown out of the water because the power prices went up to, they maxed out. They were at $9,000, $10,000 a megawatt, and that got passed on to the rate payer. And so there are people are in their house trying to keep warm, and they're getting, you know, 20,000, 10, 15, $20,000 electric bills. That happened here. There's big lawsuits going on right now. So what I'm telling you is, is that, you know, that's nothing. Uh, you know, what if we're in a situation where we don't have enough fuel? Price will ration. That's what's happening in Europe right now. Uh, a lot of people, I think, are hoping it's temporary. But like I said, if you continue not to spend the money, if you continue down this path to use unreliables and rebuildables as your main source of power, you're setting yourself up for a problem. And I don't think most people realize that. And once it happens, of course, the politicians go scurrying away. You know, it's kind of funny. Thomas Sowell was talking. He's a famous economist here in the U.S. He's very old, very wise guy. I like listening to his videos. 
you know, I said the political class is the one job where, you know, you don't have to ever take responsibility for the bad decisions that you make. You know, most of us in our endeavors in the world, if we make poor decisions or if we cost people money or if we cost somebody their life, we have to answer for that. And these people never have to answer for anything. They just, you know, like our friend, Mr. Biden, you know, he's going to shift the blame uh, back to evil profiteers. I mean, like some Soviet apparatchik you know, never taking blame for the famines in the Soviet Union. It was foreign reactionaries. You know, that's that's what it was. Uh, interventionists, counter-revolutionaries. Let's go root them out and send them to the gulag. So uh, this is your problem right here. And Mr. Biden and a lot of other politicians are not addressing this. In fact, they're making the problem worse. And so here's an example. You know, Lenin talked about the hammer and the anvil. He would rather be the hammer than the anvil. He'd rather be delivering the blows than receiving them. So here's uh, the squad and people are going to laugh. They're going to say, well, they don't have any power. No one listens to them. Well, it's not necessarily listening to them, but it shifts the Overton window. It shifts the discussion. That's why they're there. That's why the party, the Democratic Party lets them drone on because it helps to shift the Overton window. So representatives Presley, Tlaib, Jones introduce a bill that will require the Fed, that's the Federal Reserve, to, quote, prohibit financing of new or expanded fossil fuel projects after 22, 2022, any thermal coal financing after 2024, and all fossil fuel financing after 2030, unquote. So they want to uh, have the Federal Reserve, which has purview over banks, to be able to regulate the banks and tell the banks that you can no longer loan money for fossil fuel projects uh, when it comes to the largest banks. And so who else is going to make those? Uh, you know, So here again is another example of a discussion that people are having about strangling off financing to these projects. Now, most of these projects, when they get going, are very capital intensive and borrowed money is used. So if you're not going to provide financing for the development of new projects to bring new oil and gas reserves online, then consequently, you will have less oil and gas. This is happening. And so Jerome Powell, Mr. Powell, who's the current chairman of the Fed, his term is up very soon. He, I, he, he's a Republican. He's not going to be reappointed, in my view. And so the progressives are going to push to get one of their own in there, and then they can accelerate this, then they can push for this. And people aren't paying attention. And if once you once you put these things into place and you strangle off these industries, it's, it's like I talked about that broken arm I had. If you atrophy these muscles, if you try to do everything you can to strangle these industries, then the people go away, the expertise goes away, the machinery sits in rust. And then when you inevitably, when common sense comes back because you have no choice, that's what typically happens. When you have no choice, you have to go back to normal. Then you don't have the ability to do it. And it takes longer. There's more suffering. So when you somebody tells me, well, John, that would never happen. They don't have any power. Maybe, maybe not. But this is what they this is how they you get the you get the thing on the board. You know, the Overton window is the subjects that are politically able to be discussed. And that's what this is about, getting the Overton window shifted to the further to the left, further into the climate change narrative. And most people are not paying attention.
you know, most, you know, they, they, they don't, this is not what, what most people think about. This is happening. It's not just here, it's in the ECB, European Climate Bank. You know, it's not really what the ECB stands for, but that's what it's turning into. ECB to scrutinize bank trading books for climate change risk. Here we go again. So the bureaucrats in Brussels who have mucked up everything um, that they've ever touched are now going to insert themselves into banks trading uh, operations to determine if they're, you know, a climate change risk. Europe, where natural gas and electricity prices have hit new record high virtually highs virtually every day in recent weeks, sparking angry protests as furious citizens refuse to pay their electric bills. So while one would think that Europe, the epicenter of the current energy hyperinflation phase, has learned its lesson and would ease back on central planning when it comes to energy policies to avoid even higher prices, one would be wrong. The ECB has decided to add yet one more mandate to its ever-growing list of things its career economist needs to fix. And according to Bloomberg, the central bank will, quote, look at trading operations of major lenders as part of the climate stress test next year after judging that an assessment of loan books alone won't give enough insight into the fallout they face from global warming, unquote. So do you see where this is heading? Um, Mr. Banker, we've determined, and we're the regulator, we've determined that your investments and your operations around fossil fuels are posing a long-time risk because you don't seem to understand, Mr. Banker, that fossil fuels are going away and that they're dangerous and that that's a risk. And so we're going to mandate, we're going to tell you to get rid of those operations and close that loan book down. Does anyone listening to this video or podcast think that that will lead to more or less energy being available? In case you don't know the answer, I'll answer for you. It will lead to less energy. So you see how this is shaping up? It's not just a couple of goofballs in our Congress. This is the narrative. This is what is happening, okay? Um, you're not going to change it as an individual, okay? Uh, but there's going to be, unfortunately, for the masses are going to pay and we're going to profit because we're going to have, this is why I keep saying we're going to have an energy crisis. This is, this is almost virtually going to guarantee it. Uh, and if you're already telling the regulators are already having these conversations with the banks, the banks are already going to be looking to pair it back. They're not going to wait until they're told to do it. They, they will see the handwriting on the wall and they'll want to get out of these things before the, the, everybody else does. And so that's the power of central planning, right? You can dictate things to people and they have to do it under threat of violence. So here we go again. This is not just a one-off. I keep saying that. Here's another uh data point source on jpm virtue signaling like blackrock they are not unique but they are quite large jp morgan plans to set climate targets targets for financing portfolio you see they're not even being wait they're not even waiting to be told jp morgan is planning to set emission targets for its financing portfolio joining other big banks and setting climate goals do you see the fascism now, the 1930s Italian-style fascism? I'm not talking about Germany. I'm talking about real fascism, the coming together of government and very large business. This is what we have now, okay? This is what we have. 
We have uh, these companies doing, these very large companies doing the bidding of the government. The government doesn't even have to pass the regulations. The banks, the large corporations, the oil companies, I guess, except with the, until they get Mike Worth out of there, and they'll get their, one of their guys that'll play along. They're doing all the bidding. They're, they're shutting down their oil operations and building wind and solar. When we see what's happening in Europe, that you cannot run modern economies. Did it ever occur to anybody that maybe they don't want to have this much of a modern economy? That your life, your living standard needs to go down? That's another thing that they figured out during the contagion, folks. CO2, when they locked everybody up in their houses, they saw CO2, CO2 emissions went down a lot. That wasn't, that didn't go unnoticed. So you see where this is heading? It's not conspiracy. This is the religion. Climate change is the religion of our time for people in the West. They don't believe in anything, so they will believe, they don't believe in anything, therefore they'll believe in anything. And so that's what they believe in. That's the new religion of the secular class, the intelligentsia, uh, the so-called leadership in the West, climate change. And so this is what we're seeing. It's not one-offs. I find I keep finding tidbits of this. It's setting us up for a supply-based energy crisis. So here we go again. Here's Harvard. Uh, they have a huge endowment, billions of dollars. Um, a lot of the uh, mush mines that go there have been protesting for years that they should divest of fossil fuels. And so they finally decided to do it. For nearly a decade, Harvard University has been the target of sit-ins, protests, and petitions even resounding votes from its faculty, all calling for the university to divest its massive endowment of investments in fossil fuels. But year after year, the university resisted, claiming among other things that it did not want to use its endowment as a political tool. Yeah, that's, that's good because the goal of the endowment is to increase the size so that they can do uh, things for the university, but that's out the window now. Then suddenly on Thursday afternoon, it changed course. Quote, we must act now as citizens, as scholars, and as an institution to address the crisis on many front, on as many fronts as we have at our disposal, unquote. Why don't you kill yourself then? Why don't you stop using fossil fuels? The hypocrisy kills me. Why don't you stop eating meat? Why don't you start, instead of virtue signaling, actually acting out your beliefs? This is what kills me about these people. The regular people in the world, the working classes of the world, the people that I care about, plumbers, firefighters, electricians, construction workers, food service workers, regular normal people that just want to go to work and earn a living, an honest living, are, gonna, are getting squeezed by these high energy prices that are being put into effect by these virtual signaling communist. It's unbelievable that, you know, we're going to divest we're going to do this we're going to do that and they they're the ones they keep flying around on jets you'll see it in my reality check segment this week there's a segment in there there's a slide in there about the eu's passing all these emissions regulations for airlines but it doesn't apply to private jets because that's what the intelligentsia and the pointy shoes and the elites the masters of the universe fly on private jets so emissions don't targets don't apply to them don't you get it yet haven't you seen enough haven't you woken up from your slumber? This is what's going on. Quote, I write today to describe what Harvard has done and will do to ensure that our community is fully engaged in the critical work ahead. This is just, this sounds just like any communist would say, any kind of, this is just horrible. 
these people, do they actually believe this stuff? I guess they do, but they don't live it. They're, hip, they're hypocrites. So I'm sorry to go off on a blow up on a tangent like this, but it's, 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 it's numbing. It's, 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 I'm tired of it. These people are going to hurt a lot of people with their dumb policies and their virtue signaling. And they're not going to accept any of the responsibility. You already see, like Mr. Biden, again, it's, it's profiteers. That's what's causing this, right? You know, reactionary elements. So it's not just in fossil fuels, it's in mining, right? U.S. House Committee, in all its wisdom, moves to block the Resolution Copper Project in Arizona. The mine is the second largest greenfield project in the U.S. and a top 10 globally to secure much needed new supply for the energy transition. The wrath of metals will be epic. That's exactly right. You're not going to have the energy transition without all these metals. In order to get the metals, they have to be mined. If you're not going to let people mine anywhere, you're going to have not enough metals for the transition. So these people, now I was told when I retweeted this tweet that this project didn't really, most people kind of understood that this project didn't really have much of a chance, but this isn't just a one-off. As, you, as you've been a listener to this uh, series of videos, you know for a fact that I've pointed out other projects, whether they're Met Coal or other projects in the West that are not being allowed to go forward for whatever reason. And again, this project very well may have been, should have been stopped and shouldn't have been built. But at some point, if you're going to stop all the projects for their little unique issue, then you're not going to have the metals you need to have the energy transition that everybody keeps talking about. So U.S. House Committee moves to block Rio Tinto's resolution mine. Um, a U.S. House of Representative committee has voted to include language in a wider budget reconciliation package that would block Rio Tinto from building its resolution copper mine in Arizona. The San Carlos Apache tribe and other Native Americans say the mine would destroy sacred land. That very well could be the case, but this is the a mine that was going to be in the top 10 of supply for the entire globe. And so it's going to be removed. So what does that do to copper supply when demand is still increasing? That's why you have copper over $4 a pound right now and why Goring and Rosenzweig are saying it could get to 10 or 12 or $15 a pound during this cycle. Yeah, that's what they've said. And so food prices, it's not just energy, it's food, right? Food's going to be the next thing. If we have the weather situation that I think we're going to have over not just this year, but going forward for the next couple of decades where we're going to be more in a cooling phenomenon than then this global warming phenomenon, you're going to see shortened growing seasons and lower yields. And so food price is the highest in recorded history. Uh, I, I went to this Bloomberg article, it's behind a paywall, but basically um, higher inflation for food isn't just a problem in the US, it's across the globe. Food is more expensive today than it has been for the vast majority of modern recorded history per this article in Bloomberg. So, this is what kicked off the Arab Spring, right? And, you know, in a lot of developing countries, emerging markets, where the people don't have a lot of money, they spend a, dis a very large portion of their income on food. And so if food goes up 30 or 40%, like it has this year, then that causes stress for these people, right? It causes stress for these governments. Governments can fall over this. This is what causes revolutions. And so it's something to be cognizant of. You know, we even see it here in the U.S. The prices are through the roof. Like I said, I've mentioned this like three, three weeks in a row. I mean, I don't know how people are living, how, how, they're, how they're surviving. And so 
little bit on uranium now. Um, we're, I think we're really enjoying uh, what we're seeing in the uranium market because of the Sprott vehicle forcing the spot price up. I think I saw it at $50 a pound yesterday. Um, I don't really have the answer of how far or how fast this is going to go. What I wanted to show you is the previous peaks. You know, I was interviewed by uh, another guy yesterday and we were talking about this and I said, you have to be careful because when these things go in these bull markets in uranium, they spike and then they come back down fairly quickly. So I don't know if we've entered the spike phase of this particular run in uranium, but you can see what happens. I mean, this particular individual was asking me about, um, well, you know, if you look out on the charts, 20, 30 years out, you know, this doesn't look like there's going to be enough uranium. Look, if the price gets high enough, sufficient capital will come into the market and create an oversupply. That's commodity and resource 101. However, you know, we'll have to watch because if they're not going to let you build uranium mines, they're not going to let you uh, do anything. And yet the uh, demand is there, then you're going to, you know, you could have an extended supply crunch. So typically how these markets work is the price goes up to a point where it's the, the, the margins are so high that it draws so much capital in. And then these projects uh, get built. You know, I talked about Paladin during last cycle, you know, it brought the Langer Heinrich mine on just at the top of the price cycle. And then the price went down and the company ended up having to declare bankruptcy. So just that that's because it takes so long to, to bring something on. And these prices don't stay high enough for a long enough period of time. So that's why I call these things mostly trading sardines uh, and burning matches because they're not like long-term investments. They are, um, they are, they are, they are, you're renting them. Let's put it that way. That's a term I think a lot of people use. You're renting these things and um, you, uh, you, these are not something you put away for your college, your kid's college fund. They're not growth stocks. And so I kind of like this shot that uh, Ross Adam, uh, which is the Russian state uh, nuclear entity that uh, builds and uh, operates plants, kind of uh, had this shot at Germany. You know, this article and uh, from Germany says, Germany coal tops wind as main electricity source. In the first half of 2021, coal shot up as the biggest contributor to Germany's electric grid, while wind power dropped to its lowest level. Yeah, because wind speeds are down in in um, Europe right now. So um, they've had to fire up more coal plants. So here's what Ross, you know, Germany is in the process of shutting down its nuclear fleet because of what happened at Fukushima. The Greens don't like nuclear there. They are a very substantial party in Germany. Uh, I think that may be changing. It may have a possibility of changing. But anyways, here's the shot that uh, Ross Adams said. So apparently you cannot build your entire electricity system on weather dependent energy sources. Who would have thought? I mean, it sounds like something I would say. So this is exactly right. Um, if you're going to uh, build intermittent, uh, unreliable sources of energy as the backbone of your energy system, you're going to have energy shortages. And it creates this cognitive dissonance in German energy policy, it looks like, because your intent was to get rid of burning fossil fuels, and now you're burning more coal than you. Then uh, coal is becoming the predominant source of electricity generation in Germany, and that's not what the intent of the energy transition was. And so, as I've said before, I don't think that you can have 
uh, a this 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 deal that you're going to go to um, uh, low carbon environment, whatever that is, whatever that means, um, you're not going to be able to get there without um, uh, nuclear power. And so I thought this was a kind of kind of funny. And so uh, this is uh, Cycle Bob. This is a guy you should follow on Twitter. Very smart guy. Understands cyclicality of these resource markets almost better than anybody else I see on Twitter. He's constantly warning people and telling people about the cyclicality. That these are burning matches that you don't buy and hold these things forever. These things go up and then they come back down. And so it's, he says, it's amazing how behavior repeats. Cyclical history continues to be the best predictor of the next 12 months. No, it's not different this time. And so he gives a couple examples, which I've done before too, of two uh, of, of a company, um, UEX, which is a uranium uh, company, Junior. He shows the 20, 2004 to 2007 bull market, 10 decent sized pullbacks. Look at that, 49%, 52, 48, 63 basically an average of 40, 10, 42% average pullbacks during that bull market. Okay. So um, that's, that's very uh, interesting, right? That's, um, that's what you're going to see. That's the volatility that you're going to see in these markets. And so the 2020 uh, to 20, whatever bull market, you've already seen four decent sized pullbacks so far. So get ready for the volatility in uranium stocks if you're going to be on this they are going to be buying opportunities okay they are opportunities to profit okay um the the it's going to be hard to navigate this because one of these downdrafts will be the downdraft that continues on and doesn't just rebound and so playing this and understanding it um that's what happens like a lot of younger more inexperienced people now are coming into this i mean i've had an explosion of new subscribers on my service of actionable intelligence alert i'm concerned that how many of them actually understand these type things and they're coming in because of the uranium discussions we've been having the bull market and uranium is not over nevertheless there will be pullback so if you come in uh, at the top of one of these intermediate peaks and shoot your whole wad and then experience a 40% decline, uh, you need to understand that, that can happen. And then if you, if you, you're already down 40%, right. And then, you know, you don't know if it's the ninth, the eighth, ninth or 10th, uh, drawdown, or if it's the first, second or third drawdown. And so I get concerns. That's why I tell people, you know, we were in myself and my subscribers, we were into these uranium stocks when they when they were like pennies, okay? And we had to sit here. I remember talking about this over and over, sitting on our dead butts, leather butts, grinding it out, keep stacking, keep buying. This is gonna happen. The supply demand dynamic is there. We finally get the catalyst. This is what happens in these markets. This is why people are not successful in cyclical markets because they can't get in early when nothing's happening. It's boring, you're sitting there, nothing's happening or it drifts lower over time, but you have to keep buying if your thesis is correct. And then you get the catalyst. The catalyst in this, in this regard was the Sprott vehicle. And now we're seeing this huge blow up in a lot of these shares, right? I've got companies that are up you know, hundreds of percent, okay? We're, we're getting close to 10 bagger country in some of our stocks, okay? Um, 
that doesn't mean the move is not going to move higher but you're you, you've already got a you know you've already got a large portion of the move now the spike is the final spike is the where the majority of the gains are made but like i said these are trading sardines and you have to be cogs in what's going on in this market okay and this is this is like one of the best this is if nothing else, this is probably the most important slide I can show you if you're a uranium speculator. Understand the volatility. Understand what's happening, okay? That you're going to have these type of pullbacks. Don't come in because you read something on Reddit or you came to my video series and you heard me talking about uranium and I got you all jazzed up. And you're like, yeah, this is going to happen. I agree with this. On Monday, I'm going to put 10 grand in. Don't do it like that. Scale into your positions, okay? Understand what you're doing. You know, if I didn't have a position right now, I'm not, this is not advice, but if I personally did not have a position in uranium and I wanted to participate, you know, I would have my buy list together. For most people, that means you should just buy the ETF. You shouldn't try to get cute here. Uh, for most people that want to participate that don't have the time to research, you know, determine, you know, if you're going to have a certain amount of money, let's call it 10 units, say it's 10 grand, 10 units, right? 10 units of a thousand. I'd probably take an initial position of with two of my units, that'd be, you know, two grand. And then I would just scale in on pullbacks. If I saw a pullback, I'd scale in. Uh, if there's more of a pullback, I'd scale in some more. I'd, I'd just feed into the market uh, on pullbacks, understanding that you're going to have these huge drawdowns. And then, I mean, you're going to have to really pay attention because no one knows when the peak is, right? So uh, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to get, trained up that these buy the dip works but as i've shown in this previous chart these things don't go on for very long right it's over a period of a couple years uh, i think this one's going to be accelerated over the next 18 months to two years or you know because i think this thing's going to run up quick uh based on what we're seeing and so so you just need to pay attention to these pullbacks and use them as an opportunity i mean i have cashed it on the sidelines if we get a decent pullback, I'll be buying more. Um, this is really an opportunity, uh, as I've said before, that can be life-changing for many people. And it already has been. I've already had emails from people, subscribers, that uh, have told me that uh, this has created um, wealth that is high enough that it has changed their life in a significant manner. So people are attracted to that, but understand what you're dealing with. It's perfectly... This is one of the most important things. Um, this is probably one of the top slides I've ever put up. No, it's not different this time. Okay, guys, that's it for this week. I appreciate the support. The channel's blowing up. I'm welcoming all the new subscribers. I hope we can provide value to you. I think we've been pretty consistent to be ahead of these trends. Sometimes we're way ahead of it, so you have to wait. Um, but uranium's not the only thing out there that uh, has potential. Uh, there's many other industries. There's many other things that are very, very cheap. That's what we look for. We look for things that are cheap uh, and that have a catalyst for a turnaround. As Wayne Gretzky said in his R philosophy here, we want to skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it is currently. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks.